everyone for joining me on this Indic chat. Um, so I want to begin by asking three questions. The first question is, do you worry about the future or the past or even the present? And you can just answer within yourself. Okay. The second question is, do you want something that you don't have right now? So it can be anything, you know, a house, a car, uh, a job, promotion, whatever, right? Um, and the final question is, do you often wonder about the purpose of your life, what you should be doing, why you're here, the purpose of your existence? Um, and, you know, I think I'll be quite accurate in saying that most of us would answer yes to these questions because these are, in a sense, the afflictions of the human condition, right? Um, you know, take anxiety, for example. There's estimates out there that say that, you know, 40% of American adults suffer from some kind of anxiety disorder, which is significant, right? And considering that America is one of the richest countries in the world, it's, um, you know, it's pretty bad, right? Um, and I can attest for myself, and I can say that I've suffered from these afflictions as well. And what that did to me was that it really kind of prompted me to ask a lot of questions, like lots and lots of questions, really. <laughs> questions about, you know, questions like, why are some people happier than other people, even in the same situation, say? Um, questions like, is there a right way of looking at life, right? Because um, something that I realized very deeply was the fact that everything is so relative in life, right? Um, and our experience of life is so dependent on our individual perception. And so I just had this really nagging yearning to know if there is any like one correct or right way of living life or looking at life, right? And, um, and so my book, um, from Dior to Dharma asks these kinds of questions, basically. Um, and in this Indic chat, I'm going to be talking about this book, um, about why I wrote it. And I'll also talk a little bit about spirituality and yoga and its relevance in the world today. Um, I'll also do a little bit of reading from the book. I'll read a very short excerpt. And then towards the end, we can do a little bit of Q&A in case you guys have any questions. So you can just type your questions in the comments section, even as we go along. But I'll take a look at them only at the end. So we can do that. Um, and just before I kick off, I'd like to thank the Indic Academy, the Indic Book Club, um, and the media partners, Swaraja Magazine and Creative India Magazine, for giving me the opportunity to do this talk. So yeah, thank you. Um, so, so this book, From Dior to Dharma, it draws, you know, very heavily on my own life and on the lives of people that I've had the opportunity to observe. Um, so essentially, uh, a little bit about me, I, like many other people my age, was brought up to be, you know, kind of overachiever, like many other Indians. Um, but luckily for me, I was quite, always quite intellectually stimulated. And so I, you know, I did quite well in school and college. And then I went on to do a master's at Cambridge and then an MBA at INSEAD. Um, and then I began working in finance, mainly in London and Paris. Um, and I was actually working in investment banking in London when the financial crisis broke out. 
and that I think was you know a time of great churning in the West right especially for those of us that worked in the financial sector at the time you know we saw it firsthand but you know later on the broader economy began to see that also and then you know the world at large right but but for me as a 24 25 year old um, going from you know seeing things go from bright and shiny and expensive corporate dinners and parties to suddenly like huge financial institutions collapsing and hundreds and thousands of people losing their jobs was deeply disturbing right and if not downright disillusioning so it really you know really shook things up and for me personally as well um, you know seeing your senior colleagues being made redundant um, you know carrying out their belongings and boxes and leaving the bank and just you know seeing the trading floors at the bank um, you know completely empty looking like you know like battlefields after a war was was very chilling um, and so this book um, includes a lot of my experiences from my time in London and then also in Paris and then you know later now in India um, so Maya who is the protagonist of the novel she has a very enviable life on the outside um, but something's eating at her on the inside so so she's achieved a lot of the dreams that she had and she's at a place where she's kind of wondering now what you know where do I go from here and she has this very deep sense of something being wrong not wrong in the sense of like she's made any wrong decisions or made any mistakes or any regrets or anything but just um, you know a feeling that she's not in sync or not in tune with the essence of life if you will with the existential rhythm with you know what we call dharma um, which is sort of the law of life in a sense right and um, so you know as they say out of suffering and confusion comes the opportunity to you know to seek the truth right and so the book really it describes her journey as a spiritual seeker so she begins to to learn yoga meditations she starts to listen to the talks of spiritual gurus and as she starts doing that she starts to to drop off layers you know many many layers um, that were painted on by society by family by herself you know all of that conditioning um, and she just becomes more and more sort of empty in that sense um, and she just realizes very profoundly that um, you know even if you have a, a wardrobe full of Dior <laughs> or you know your favorite fashion brand Chanel whatever it really has no existential um, relevance right um, so so the book draws a lot on my own life but at the same time I feel like it could be anyone's life because these are sort of universal um, themes right um, and at the risk of sounding somewhat pretentious I would say that the book itself is somewhat like life um, in the sense that it is partly true in terms of you know what is true of my life um, it's partly made up <laughs> which is a lot of our lives are made up and there's a bit of magic thrown in so um, in fact uh, for instance towards the end of the book there is uh, a development where you know people who've read the book have asked me was that true 
<laughs> and I'm not going to reveal the answer here, but you know, if you read the book and if you have that question, then, then you can get in touch and I'll um, give you a personal answer on that one. Um, and then at the same time, there's a lot of there's some spiritual truths woven into the book, like um, you know, like being aware of the present moment, not being lost in our thoughts and emotions. Um, but at the same time, I should make very clear that I'm not a spiritual scholar in any sense of the term, and I have absolutely no interest in intellectualizing about spirituality. So, so this book is not based on any kind of research, right? It's it, research in the traditional sense, so it's not based on any information research. You could say it's based on inner research, maybe, yeah. Um, so I, you know, I tend to write uh, about what's true in my experience, what I know to be true. And of course, you know, I'm greatly guided by the light of spiritual masters who have, you know, and do speak about the truths of our existence, right? Um, so let me tell you now about why I wrote this book. So I would say there are three reasons, really. Um, first is that I love writing. <laughs> uh, it's something that I've always done as far back as I can remember. Um, whether it's you know writing in my journal or just actually more often just scribbling notes on the go, um, whenever an idea would strike me, wherever I was, you know, just pull out my phone, just make a note. You know, I'd be writing in a train maybe, and you know, um, some kind of odd description about the railway track would strike me, and I'll just make a note on that. Or I'm walking home from work, and you know, I look at the moon and <laughs> suddenly inspired to write something. Or I'm just you know, sitting at my work desk and I see the sun streaming in and, you know, I feel compelled to write something and, you know, scribble something on a post-it note. So really, you know, that's kind of been a feature of my life all along. And so I always knew that I wanted to write a book, but I really, I didn't know when I was going to do it and I didn't know what I was going to write about, really. Um, but yeah, but those answers <laughs> are now, are now um, those questions are now answered, right? Um, so the, the second reason that I wrote the book is that, as I mentioned before, unfortunately the human condition in our time is one of um, anxiety, of stress, of people not being content with what they have and always wanting more. And you know, as I said, I, my experience does attest to this as well. And I know that I'm not the only one because I, I see it all around me. People being unhappy in their relationships, people being unhappy when they're not in relationships. Um, sometimes it's the, the same people <laughs> at different points in their life. Um, people being unhappy in their careers, which is maybe you know, pretty much almost everyone. And so I felt that if I could write something where I could reflect their situations and um, you know, maybe inspire people to dig a little bit more deeply to find um, you know, answers to really basic questions about life, um, then I would really like to do that. Um, and so the third reason for writing this book is that I was really quite annoyed with all the pop spirituality that we have floating around in the world today. So um, just a little bit of background on that. I, I myself started learning yoga when I was living in Paris. And so that was a kind of a weird experience because I was learning Sanskrit chants in like a French accent, which is quite funny. Um, but you know what I, I saw was that there's so much in the name of spirituality that 
doesn't really come from a very authentic um, place, right? It, there's a lot of commercialization. Um, you know, some of the yoga classes that I attended were more like, like you know, gymnastics classes or like fitness, you know, class sessions. And um, it just seemed like everyone was just trying to sell you something. And you know, we also see that there's so many like life coaches, like. I think mainly self-appointed life coaches that are always trying to give you like techniques and psychological tricks to you know to deal with life's problems you know like five tips for this and ten tips for that, fifteen tips for whatever and it's just you know it's all too mathematical for me. <laughs> um, I, I mean I think it's fine. I think it has its place, but I don't really think that it solves um, the core of the issue, right? And I just kind of thought to myself. How many of these issues was I going to deal with individually? It seemed like you know you had to do so much learning just to deal with one issue, and I really felt deep down that maybe there had to be like one answer to all these questions, you know, sort of like one pill to for all these diseases, right? And it was much later on that you know I realized that this kind of questioning, this kind of like the Upanishadic questioning, it's the ancient Indian texts. Um, but I really feel like if anybody just sits quietly and just contemplates the nature of their existence, then you know they will ask the same questions that people have been asking for uh, for thousands of years, right? Um, and so, and so, what I really wanted to do was to write about um, the essence of spirituality in in a more authentic context. So I didn't want people to feel like spirituality is some kind of cult or some kind of esoteric thing that they have to sign up to because it's really not. I mean, to me, all it means, um, you know, to be spiritual, it just means that you ask questions about the nature of your own existence and that you are aware and conscious of the the life that you are. You know, that's it. It's really that simple. <clears throat> but. You know, sometimes just to convey one simple idea, you need to you need to do a lot of talking. So, um, so that's also why I started um, the Living Wise Project, which is a website currently. Um, I, I think it can be a lot more, but at the moment it's a website. It's on www.livingwiseproject.com, and you find many more of my writings there. Um, there's also a newsletter that I do every Sunday. Um, I send something out that you know I've written and update on the website. So if you sign up on the website, then you know you can you can uh, get that as well. And we've got a YouTube channel also right now. Um, and I've just put up a very interesting interview that I did with uh, Major General G D Bakshi, who um, those of you from India would know is a very prominent figure in the field of defense and. Military matters, but a lot of people don't know that he's actually also been, you know, a true spiritual seeker in his life. So that's a very interesting interview, and you know, you should check it out if you if you have the time. Um, so, so yeah, so the Living Wise Project's the aim of of this venture really is to help people create and live more conscious lives. Um, and you know, I really think that there's so much wisdom and knowledge in India that. Is can be so useful to the to the rest of the world, and you know can help answer so many questions that the world has right now. Um, and so the Living Wise Project really is my way, my small way of trying to connect people to that wisdom and you know that knowledge. Um, so yeah. Um, so what I'll do now is I'm just going to read a very short excerpt from my book. Um, 
I'm going to read from chapter 8, which is the, the second to last chapter. And the, the chapter is called India the Beautiful. So it's uh, quite topical for right now. So I'll just read a very short excerpt. October is not a fallen month in South India. Unlike in temperate lands, there is no surrendering of the leaves, first to non-verdant hues and eventually to the ground. The trees don't avert their gaze like they do in Paris in autumn, embarrassed by their state of undress. On the contrary, with the worst of the summer heat beaten into retreat and rain clouds standing on guard, ready to burst when needed, nature seems to run amok, setting the environment afire with life, creating a flora as intense and flavorful as the South Indian curries. In fact, with plump jackfruits, blazing on treetops, the excitement of pepper vines bursting into tropical fragrance, chili plants trampling aggressively over weeds and coconut trees stumbling drunkenly into every other plant and tree around, one beholds, smells and almost tastes an uncooked curry of a forest. Unlike the faded and often insipid hues of much higher latitudes, Mother Nature here, sweating with inspiration in the humid warmth, pushes colors to their most vibrant extremes. This was so also in the small town in southern Tamil Nadu where Guruji has his ashram. Since I had recently decided that if I was unable to come up with a blueprint for my future anytime soon, my backup option would be to retire to an ashram in the forest, I thought that I should at least check out the place to assure myself that I could indeed, if push came to shove, comfortably spend the rest of my life there. And so here I was, spending two weeks in Guruji's ashram before making a trip all the way north to the Himalayas. So that's you know, a short excerpt. You can, um, you can actually find more excerpts from the book and actually um, the entire chapter one of the book I've recently put onto the Living Wise Project. Um, you can also buy this book on Amazon in, in Kindle and in print formats. And if you're in India, you can also buy it on Flipkart. So, you know, if it sounds interesting to you, then, you know, do go ahead and do that. Um, so before we move into the Q&A part, I kind of want to touch on a couple of themes relating to how I think we can lead more fulfilling uh, wiser and happier lives because I think that it wouldn't be fair for me to you know tell you about how miserable the human condition is and how we all need to seek and then not tell you where I think the answers lie right so um, to put it in one word I would say yoga um, and yoga not in the sense of asanas or you know as a fitness regime but in the true sense of the word which is yoga as union of oneself with everything else and and that really means not being in friction with anything that's around you including your own thoughts and emotions and and the way to achieve that is to is to manage your mind right because in these times the the psychological aspect of the mind is really our biggest tormentor Right? It's this, this the inner turmoil that's caused by an out-of-control mind that really has its outer manifestation in, in the wars and the violence and um, you know, the environmental degradation that we see around us. 
um, and I think the problem really lies in the fact that we set such a store by the mind. You know, we're mind worshippers in in our society today. And you know, don't get me wrong, the mind is a marvelous thing. It's a marvelous tool, but if it's not handled properly, properly, then it has the potential to cause you know real misery. So, um, so the tools of yoga are a way to mind your mind, so to speak. So um, there's four parts of yoga. Maybe you know about this, but for those of you who don't know, um, so there is bhakti, karam, bhakti yoga, karam yoga, um, kriya yoga, and gyan yoga. Um, so you know you choose the path that best fits in with your temperament, but the final destination is the same, no matter what path you take. So for instance, if you follow bhakti yoga, which is the, the yoga of devotion, Essentially, that means that you've decided to consider something other than yourself as higher than yourself. So in a way, you're setting your own self aside. If you choose to follow the path of karma yoga, that essentially means that you are putting some form of work um, above yourself. So again, you know, you're setting your own self aside. If you follow jnana yoga, that basically involves an attempt to use the mind to discern between what is real, what is the truth, and what is just stuff that's made up by your mind. So like, you know, all the stories manufactured by your mind. So again, you want to set what you have created, you want to set that aside from what already exists. And uh, Kriya Yoga, the last one, is about um, doing Kriyas, which is like breath work and pranayam. Um, and that the attempt there really is to, to elevate your life energies so that you know, that in turn can elevate your mind and make your mind more subtle, subtle enough to perceive um, more clearly and to overcome the, the kind of compulsive patterns of thinking. So, um, so I'd really encourage you to learn more about yoga and to incorporate it in your daily life if you don't already do. Um, the Living Wise Project has great resources on that. And it's not just, this is not just a plug. Um, because I, I really feel that the world is at a place right now where millions of people are questioning everything, right? We're questioning our lives, we're questioning materialism, questioning capitalism, questioning the kind of institutions and societies and economies and businesses that we want to create. And, and so I think that the time is really ripe for yoga because it is only through yoga that we will be able to create conscious lives and you know to create the kinds of institutions and societies that we really want and that in turn you know will create a peaceful and happy world right so so that's my message um so just before we jump into q a if there is going to be a q a um i just want to again thank um the indic book club and the indic academy and the creative partners, Swaraja Magazine and Creative India Magazine. Um, also because they are going to be launching my book next month in Delhi. So I'm really happy about that. Um, so yeah, so do you know, grab a copy of this book if what I've said to you sounds interesting. And you, know, you can check out Living Wise Project. And if that resonates with you and you feel like you want to contribute some of your own writings to it, then you know, I'd be very happy to, to do too. Um, to help you do that. Um, okay, so I'm just gonna look at 
if there's any questions that have come in for me. So sorry, just give me a second. Okay, the excerpts from South India, Raskadigs, Subhashji, the human condition. Do you think your book presents a different take through the Indian lens? Um, yeah, Subhashji, thank you for your question. I actually haven't read his book. I know I have a quote from Albert Camus, but I haven't actually read his book. I think I may have read this book actually a long time back, but I don't feel like I'm in a position to comment on it. Um, just generally from you know a very kind of general angle about what um, the Western concept of existential crisis is, I think the questions are the same, right? The questions all come from the same place in the sense of questioning you know, the purpose of life and you know, what it's all about. But I don't, um, I feel like in the Indian um, culture and the Indian traditions, we've dealt more profoundly with, with these questions and come up with more profound answers. Um, so that, that's really my, my take on it because I know from my experience through, through learning yoga, meditation, listening to spiritual gurus and so on that, you know, that that's really sort of helped me to answer a lot of the questions that I had. Okay, uh, Dimple, any other book in the offing? Um, so, I mean, I, I do have ideas for other books. I, I really want to write something in, in nonfiction. So I have a couple of ideas, but very much just at the idea stage. I'm just kind of jotting down notes and ideas. Um, you know, I'd like to write a book which kind of really deals with spirituality in a very simple way, so that you know it's not any kind of high-flown language, or you know, it's, it's something that people can really easily adapt into their adopt into their life. So I'd like to do a book on that, and I'd also write to like to write something on. Um, business and spirituality so that's a topic that really interests me but I'm kind of still thinking through my ideas and they're not fully formed yet so I, I hope that they will be <laughs> soon <clears throat> who all can write for the Living Wise Project Dimple um, so so essentially there's two groups of people right there's experts who have maybe studied a certain you know subject within the realm of spirituality or um, you know the Indian Vedas or Indian culture or something um, and then there's just the general community that has maybe people who are yoga teachers yoga practitioners so the Living West project is to, is to have both those groups of people contribute so really anybody who has an interest in any of the things that I've spoken about in this in this talk and you know can can write reasonably well and has an interest in sharing that I think is you know would be considered for the Living Voice Project. Uh, Sri Dharanji, um, who is the Guruji that you refer to? <laughs> I, I would like to keep it anonymous. I, um, um, yeah, I have my you know, strong influences, but I think it wouldn't be right for me to say that I, I follow one particular guru only because I actually do listen to a lot of different masters and Maybe, I don't know if I'm unique in this, uh, you know, I'm probably most likely not, but I, I feel like they all say the same things. 
So, you know, I listen to, you know, people of the, the lineage of Ramana Maharishi and Sadhguruji, who has been a huge influence in my life. You know, maybe he doesn't know it, maybe he does. But, you know, and in fact, my introduction into spirituality, into Kriya Yoga, was through autobiography of a yogi, so Yogananda Paramahans. Um, that had a very profound impact on me. So uh, I don't really want to name one person <laughs> as such because I feel like they've all equally contributed. You know, I also really um, have enjoyed reading Sri Aurobindo's works. So, yeah, it's kind of vague. So you'll see in the book that I've kind of left it vague and I speak about, like, my gurus who don't know me. Um, so that's my way of kind of keeping it vague. Although, yeah, you know, the, the, the ones that I've mentioned have been the biggest influence for me. Okay, I don't think I can see any more questions, so so I think we'll wrap it up there. I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope I wasn't too boring. Sorry, there's people writing in. I can't see it on my... I'm just going to refresh. Sorry, one second. I can see it here, but not on my big screen. Kiran, any tips on encouraging Generation X kids to learn about Indian philosophy and wisdom without making it sound like a very... Yeah, I mean, so that, that's exactly, that's one of the reasons I set up the Living Wise Project because when I was learning yoga, which was, I really only got into this like a year ago. I'm not one of those people that has been, you know, doing yoga and meditation for years and years and years. It's, it's not like a hobby for me. It's not like been my thing or anything. I just kind of really got into it because of what I said. I was really asking these questions quite deeply and it turned me in this direction. Um, and then when I was learning about yoga and all of this stuff, all of the websites that I found on the internet were just all non-Indian websites. And you know, very often, like I said, like very pop spirituality. And then if you looked at most of the Indian websites, they were, you know, in my opinion, and I don't want to offend anyone, but they just seemed quite serious and um, it didn't feel like, to me, it didn't, you know, they didn't feel appealing. So. Um, and so my attempt with the Living Wise Project is really to to present all of the good things about, uh, all of the good knowledge and wisdom about Indian culture, yoga and meditation and Ayurveda and everything, presented in a way that's engaging and compelling to to the younger people. And I really think that younger people don't really care about so much about, um, you know, the kind of like, you know, the scriptures or where it's coming from. They just want to know, like, what are the practical things that I can, you know, um, take into my life, incorporate into my life? What can I really use from all of this? So there is a little bit about, a little bit of work to do about, you know, distilling some of that information, making it sound more relevant um, and, you know, more directly engaging. Um, but I do think that, you know, because of the way that, because of the changes we've seen in the world and you know like I've spoken about people are really questioning a lot of things you know the world is going through a lot of changes so people are naturally turning inwards and looking for you know answers and solutions so I think there's already a natural momentum and you know if people who do have the knowledge or the you know the urge to to share wisdom and knowledge do come out and contribute then you know I think we can have much more <laughs> wiser societies and you know live better lives and be more spiritually evolved, if you want to put it that way. Uh, I don't know if I'm missing other questions. Let's see. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. 
I think I've gone through Sabhashi's question. Uh, Okay, I think I've gone through all of them. I'm sorry if I can't see some of them. I'll, you know, if there's outstanding questions, then I'll respond to you um, after I log off this thing. Um, So thank you all for watching and for being so patient. I hope that was worth your time. And um, have a great rest of the evening if you're in, in India. And if you're outside India, then have a great rest of the day. Or if you're in Australia, like my brother, then have a great night. All right. Thanks a lot. See you guys. Bye-bye.